0: Jeans are made of-
1: well, you know, fashion week has been going on and on for years and years, and it's like the same old eye that you get all the time. So, we want it's something been crazy to- because um, today I just got pushed into backstage manager as well. You should not be worrying about being safe, expressing yourself and your heart. Because we have always stood up for the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've always been about a part time. There's our African people um you know genocide and be able to hug about the situation knowing what it's like to be the only female in this male-dominated um, industry, industry. Love you guys you know just voting for the president is not enough you guys you gotta vote for everybody even the course school guard and you don't <laughs> like what he look like and what he's doing and how he's hanging then you get him up out of there too welcome 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 back to a fashion woman, of tai chun i'm your boy tai chun And guess who decide to bust up in the building? Step in the floor, wave in the (laughs) 4-4. All we say is, Brother Leon, don't hit us no more. (laughs) Welcome back, Uh, Brother Leon. Everybody, Brother Leon's in the building. Thank you. Glad to be back. You know, a
0: little hiatus, but here we are. You know, we always come home, don't we? We we always come home to roots. You know
1: what I'm saying? The prodigal son has come home. (laughs) you know so i've so been doing
0: great things Yes. Let's yes sir. Talk,
1: well tell us a little bit before we get started yeah so you know as you guys know this is um, between our 13th and 15th year, I'm like my grandfather, like they used to put the birth dates in the Bibles so nobody know how old they really are and I'm before the internet really started popping. So <laughs> <laughs> we celebrated 13 at 15. 13 because it's my favorite number. I was born on February 13th, and 15 because it's two more years longer.
0: <laughs> well, maybe one Friday, you're okay.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I started the show um on radio, um, WFO, um not WFO, yeah, WFO. Yeah, Buffalo, yeah that's right it was a bunch of other um radio shows and um radio stations that i were i was at you know getting ready to, every time i was going to get syndicated mm-hmm. something happened like a pandemic or the the mm-hmm. uh the financial crisis in 2008 and just all kinds of things you know went on you remember in two th- oh, I in, do. In, in um 2019 going into 2020 mm-hmm. we were hitting our, our groove right and us hitting, hitting and we track. got shut down on what? march 12. so brother leon is back Um, But you persevered, let me give you a little props first uh 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 You persevered
0: And um, I'm proud of you my brother Number one I I watched him make others famous (laughs) And finally He decided that it was his turn And his line is outstanding Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to keep it brief. Uh, He's not expecting this. I was in Atlantic City for business And I wore the Tai Chun original the first one the warm the warm-up suit and I was getting stopped uh, by people saying What's that? What's that? So I ended up telling his story and then I I had an audience. I'm like, all right, this is too much (laughs) but uh, it's I'm proud of you, and uh, you, he has arrived. So now he's doing his own thing, and the brand is
1: awesome. Thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> that's me.
0: <laughs>
1: Mind right. you, I put my phone on silent, right. guys, but I didn't silence my alarm clock so that right. I knew what time we were supposed to start. <laughs> so that's my bad. Okay, whatever. <laughs> sue me, I'm Joy Behar today. <laughs> so anyway, guys. So um as he was saying about the line, I have one of Tai um awesome. right now. We. Have some um some of the new joints that just came in the um the um um, high top um, canvas sneakers that just came in Mm -hmm. and one of the tees that's up there the white um signature tai chun t and behind us is that sweatsuit that he was talking about um that he wore to atlantic Mm -hmm. city so like i said guys always dm me email me or whatever i'm Mm tai chun all across the board t-a-i-c-h-u-n-n on all social media platforms and Gmail and website. So and I'm to proud F- of you. So then we did. We <laughs> back to the S H O W. You want to tell people why you were on a little bit of hiatus, or you want to wait to? Um, okay.
0: No, well, I was on you know hiatus because there were um, you know issues. Um, as you know, I'm a cancer survivor, mm-hmm. and I got beyond that. And there are some after effects. But, um, you just have to keep persevering, which we did. So I went on a little bit of um hiatus because you have to um you have to well yourself um before you can weld others, which I did. so that was done. everything is fine. <laughs> I'm fine, and um, we're doing good, but in the interim. I was still monitoring everything, staying in touch with um my brother who I love daily, exactly. Um, who checked on me on <laughs> a regular basis
1: and checked him too. And what she <laughs> did, and what she did.
0: So now, um, everything is good. You know, life is good, God is good, and um, therefore, by the grace
1: of Him, here we are. Here we are. So today we're gonna do the show a little bit different because this topic is. I call we call it the segment called prison pipeline which is um a series of shows that we're going to be doing throughout the season about the incarceration system in the United States and eventually we'll will um branch out to abroad and and South Africa and Southeast Asia and all of that kind of stuff whatever but just we're going to start here, right here in the United States. And we have two special guests that are going to introduce themselves in a moment. So we won't be doing a tyrant rant today. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We, okay, it's okay. Oh, we'll get back to a <laughs> But I just feel like this topic is so important. It is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce the topic. I'm going to give a blurb about the topic. And then our guest will come in. And we'll be doing that in 5.321 seconds after this commercial break. Peace out to you. Oh, 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 As you can see, our set and our stage is a little bit fuller. We have two guests, and they're going to introduce themselves. Um, This segment, like I told you, is called Prison Pipeline. It's something that I've been wanting to do for some years now. Eventually, this segment will become a documentary, and we'll be getting that together in the next two years. I ain't going to push myself this year anymore. So in the next two years, we'll be able to do that. So our first guest is
2: Malar Devon Malar.
1: And our second guest, Jason Breska. So let me just read something to you guys about the prison systems in the United States. And um, just so that you can get an understanding. So it says the Prison Act was established um, and funded for Leavenworth by, um, on McNeil Island um, and, and UPS Atlanta. It appears to be the first federal prison, Right. So they say that the first prisons were created in 1785. That was the first prison systems. And then the first federal prison system was created in 18... You guys, you know, I got my, my other co-host. I forgot to introduce my iPad. You know, I told y'all my <laughs> eyes is bad. I'm not trying to see nobody hold cue cards or none of that. So get over it. and <laughs> Get over it. You know what I mean? You guys are used to it by now. When the first, pris- first prison arose in the first actual prison is in Massachusetts State, opened in 1785, just after the American Revolution, then came Connecticut in 1790 and Pennsylvania in 1794. Those are the first three prisons that was ever created in the United States. And then, therefore, after in the 1800s, they created the first federal prison, which gave... Um, credence to federal crimes and things of that nature what have you so we're going to start with you my brother we're going to start with you just give us a little bit about your story now that people know the history of the prison system and that it started not here in new york in brooklyn where we're at but outside of brooklyn so that's why i want to start with you yeah
2: Sorry. so you know i'm a law of i a law so it's like my story is i did 19 and a half years down in virginia so from 1995 to 2014 i was no longer on the streets right so i can't say that i'm innocent right you know what i mean because i lived by the code i accepted the fate of the code i did my time you know that ain't the code I live by no more. You know what I mean? Because it's two things I can't be. I can't be I uh, uh, I can't go back to prison. That means. to so mean. I can't be a real nigga like that young dude say, and I can't be a rat. So I got. I, I just got out the way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and because I I know what's I know what's there. So I, it's no more. I don't got nothing to prove. I done did it. I was facing life in twenty eight years, in mm-hmm. blue trial. Thankfully, I got 55 years with parole. This is why I'm out here sharing the stage with y'all people. So you say you blew trial. What does that mean? So it's like you 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 know they say you did something. You say you didn't do something. They put a, they get a jury. You got a lawyer. It's a defense. He, I mean your defense against the opposition. They trying to show that you did do that in front and make these 12 people either believe that you did it, and your lawyer supposed to make them believe that you didn't do it. Okay. So my lawyer wasn't, didn't, he didn't do a good job. He didn't do a good job. No.
1: Okay. So then you
2: said you had how many years? Again? I've had 55 years with parole. Well, obviously you didn't serve 55 years mm-hmm. with parole. So Yes. So I did 19 and a half years. And are you still on parole? Negative. I got off parole and um, I, when was I? I was, I think, 44, I'm 48. So, maybe, I think 2019, 2019, 2019. Yes.
1: Okay, so so then that was almost like a, a great thing for you, 58 years and kind of cut down in half, right? Let no. It, more than half.
2: No, I still did time. Like, any time away from your people, your family, your loved ones, and opportunities is, is like, it didn't matter if I did one day. I still would feel the same way. Like, you know, my unfortunately, I didn't get life in 28 years, of course, because you wouldn't even know I existed. Exactly. Right? Even on the case I did, I did 11, I went up for parole 11 times before I made it. The way they was carrying it in Virginia, cats was maxing their bids out. So technically, I should have came home next year. Wow. So these are little things that I am grateful for that I don't overlook. Exactly. But as far as the time is up, nah, like, you know, when you deal with the justice system, you see how you think it's based off of one thing, based off what they try to teach you on TV or show you through these so-called law shows like Law & Order, Madlock, and whatever other new crime and show they got out. But when you actually experienced it, like, let's say for instance, how much for this, like, like most people don't even know this, what I'm about to shit right now. So it's like, in Virginia, they respect the speedy trial violation, Meaning that they have to take you to trial in a certain length of time. If you on bail, they got nine months. If you incarcerated, I mean, locked up, they have 90 days. Mm. So I got locked up in New York. So once I got locked up in New York for that Virginia charge, my time started. So it took me about a month from the extradition paper because I, I was a fugitive woman. I was right. on the run. Mm-hmm. So they had to, you know, some other paperwork that's involved to get me into their jurisdiction. So once I got down there, the judge, the first judge I seen, he gave me bail, which if I could have paid it, which I could have with people that I had out there, it still didn't matter because I had to have two properties mm-hmm. and I'm not from Virginia. right. So it was like, or whatever. So the lawyer I had, like, you know, because before I got locked up, I was doing the music. I was dealing with some people. I was doing a lot of stuff as well, too. So... You know, I spent a lot of money, like the music game was a sinkhole yeah. in the 90s, like, yeah. you know what I mean? So I went in a sinkhole not thinking I was going to have to face this charge. Right. So when I faced this charge, I probably had like $2,000 to my name and a tracker, a kitted up tracker at the time but that's not enough you need at least twenty five thousand to fight a murder and i had first degree murder conspiracy to murder attempt murder and two gun charges wow so it's like okay boom so my time started the judge set a date for my trial because i'm already indicted there's no need they not doing no low court proceedings right i've been directly indicted Indicted. because i was a fugitive right so he he set a trial date that was outside of the time it was to legally still try me. So technically I should be free. I should have been free. So what the lawyer they gave me, which supposed to have been a famous lawyer down there, and the Commonwealth Attorney, they don't call them DAs, like we call they call them Commonwealth attorneys. They went and had a meeting in front of the judge, signed uh, 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 said to offset my trial date that never was offset because it was still the trial date that I got when I first came down here For and it didn't have my signature. So technically, no contract that your lawyer is supposed to speak on with the, the DA or common fraternity, it has to have your signature or it's not relevant. Right. I didn't even know that that happened until after I blew trial and got all my paperwork from the trial dockets and all that while I was fighting my appeal. And I saw that, and it was an older brother. in, in inside, he was a he was a they call a jailhouse lawyer, but he had mad jewels in his caps. That's how many wins he had. He was the real deal. Right, lot of is like. <laughs> <laughs> they, they 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 maggots and parasites right. and they play with the little they know they play on people's interests. Mm-hmm. Right? Like very rarely if you see you see those jailhouse lawyers that's like these dudes is no joke. Right. They the jail farm, lawyers. yeah. The, they I have a question for you. I don't mean interc Go it, ahead, brother. Like you
0: said um you were facing um, fifty five years. No, and I was I facing life in twenty eight. Life, life in twenty eight. Yeah, because I know friends of mine. You know, we grew up in an era. Like I'm a little bit older than you, but it was like either or. You went left or right, <laughs> and one was a bad decision. But a lot of them inside um, gained the knowledge to help them. Like basically, what happened with you? Like for, there's a reason why you didn't do the fifty five years. So were you a part of that with gaining the knowledge? So that when you went for the probation hearings, you parole. knew enough parole. or learned enough, I'm sorry, parole, to say that um, this is going to cut it in half. I need to get the
1: knowledge. Because, you know, before we get into that, let's get into yes. his story because okay. that's okay. another part that we okay. need to talk okay. about okay. is the parole right. part that he did. And then we also need to talk about. His right. second life after prison right. and what he's doing now. So that was a great question, Brother Leon. No, I just want to
0: emphasize like what he did. To,
1: exactly. To to cut get his out. Time. And we'll, and we'll yeah. get to that. So let's get to your story. Introduce yourself one more time.
3: Well, I'm Jason. I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in the Bright Beach section. Brooklyn. Brooklyn love every day. All day. Um, I grew up in abject poverty. I grew up, in, and when I grew up in Brighton Beach, it wasn't like Brighton Beach now where apartments are going for a million, two million dollars by the, by the water. Right. When I grew up, it was, um, there was a heroin epidemic, prostitution everywhere. Mm-hmm. I grew up one of seven kids, the only boy. Two of my sisters were known prostitutes in the, in the neighborhood. My mother had mental illness. So I was running the streets from, a, from an early age. I was also sex trafficked by my mother.
1: Mm.
3: So, um... I don't ever say I was a victim. I'm a survivor. Right. But that's the only life I knew. I knew the streets. Right. So in order for me to eat, I had to run the streets. Right. So when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, I'm hanging out with kids that are 13, 14, 15. You know, for us to break into stores, break into people's houses, rob people, that was the norm. I knew from an early age I was going to wind up in prison. I just never knew what the crime would be. Just, you know, it was like, oh, spin one of those carnival wheels, whatever <laughs> it lands on. That's the, what I'm going to prison for, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, let, me, let me interject real sure. quick. You said you knew at an early age that you were going to go to prison. What made that a factor for you? What was what made that a factor? Was it your life circumstances? Was it the neighborhood, the people who were in a combination of all? Like That's a very heavy statement, and I want people to understand a young man saying his destiny is prison.
3: I had no hope.
1: No hope. I
3: had no support. I didn't know what love was. Wow. I didn't know what support was. Wow. You know, I'm going to say a statement that most people never understand, but prison saved my life. Prison changed me. Right. You know, um, people are always surprised how how many intelligent men are in prison. True.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And I didn't go to prison because I'm dumb. I went to prison because I didn't know who I was. Right. Mm. Um, I went to prison uh, for owning one of the largest escort services in New York City history. So I went from the objectified to the objectifier. Right. I just stayed in that lane. I just moved over one lane. hmm And um, so I met, for me, it was my experience, I met some of the most honorable men in prison. They taught me how to move like a man. They taught me what your word means. Um, I did five years alone. Mm-hmm. Like I had no, I, even though I come from a large family, I was the black sheep from an early age. Nobody held me down. When hold when, hold me down means nobody wrote me, nobody came to visit me, nobody sent me packages. I learned to live off the land.
1: What does that mean, live off the land?
3: I learned how, like when I went to prison, I just had the clothes on my back. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to go to commissary and get snacks and cigarettes and stuff like that. I remember the first prison I was at was a facility called Washington Correctional Facility. And that's an adolescent disciplinary, jail. I was an adolescent, but New York State was messing with me. They sent me there because it was all young 16, 17, 18-year-old uh, young kids who, it's Gladiator School. They're fighting at 3 o'clock in the morning over the latest rapper. Right, right. And um, I remember walking to the prison yard, picking up discarded cigarette butts and breaking them up in Bible paper just so I could smoke. Well, if you fast-forward five years later, I'm in a different facility, but I'm running the yard because I learned how to move. Right. I learned how to align myself with the right people. Right. right? Um, I'm not, I, you know, there, I always find that in life, intelligence is the most intimidating thing. Forget right. muscles. Muscles, right. anybody can get muscles, right. but can you get knowledge? Right. right. Um, so when I got arrested, I was making... More money than most people could dream of. I was doing on average fifty, hundred thousand dollars a week, right? But I had no integrity. My moral compass was broken, mm-hmm. and I was, you know, I went from living in the penthouse to the outhouse,
1: right?
3: <laughs> so, but when I came home, July second, two thousand fourteen, I was terrified. I was homeless. Wow! And I didn't care. I was free. Mm-hmm. And within a year, I owned a house a business, and a car. And I didn't do anything illegal to get it. I just knew that my drive was different. I took everything I learned pre-incarceration, incarceration, and I applied it with what I learned in life. Make or break. That's right, there was no, no going back,
1: no going, going back, back. So was, we, we're, okay. gonna, we're gonna we're gonna stop right there on the no going back um, and on you know living off going from living off the land to running the yard and then coming home to doing what you needed to do or what have you, and then the fear that you talked about or whatever we're gonna get into that about in our segment about the and our comments about the um conversation rather about the post incarceration what have you of you guys so you guys will be back after this commercial in 5.321 seconds
3: so what do you think of the boss
1: she's uh
3: care to elaborate
2: Very powerful win.
0: see, any gun, as got the next personal China. lost it, lost
3: Money, baby, I
1: will see you when you come back.
0: Mirror, mirror on the wall, tell me, tell me who is the tell prettiest
1: me. of them all.
0: for you and
1: Tai Chun. I am your boy, Tai Chun. And as you can see, the studio looks a little bit different again, like I told you. We wanted your comments and your suggestions this season so that we can start moving forward into making it aesthetically pleasing to the eye and doing something different. The technology is up and running better and we're just doing things different. I want to welcome back my guest. Introduce yourselves again, gentlemen. Malaw Devon Malaw. Jason, <laughs> and we are talking. This is a segment of called the Prison Pipeline, and we're talking about incarceration. And this particular time was about incarceration in the United States. One was incarcerated in Virginia, another one in New York, and um, for two different, um, two different crimes. One was sex trafficking, promote prostitution. Prom- promote prostitution. One was attempt murder. No murder. Murder mm. and okay. attempt murder. He, he said, you see how he said that? He said they're like, um, DMX, right? Murder.
0: In other words, I did it and I almost did it.
1: He's like, get my get my charge right. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, making light of the situation, I know that it's not a funny thing, but it just to me, you know, like I just try to find a little bit of humor in everything or whatever. But I know that this, guy, this was you guys' life so i don't want people to think that we're sitting here here and 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 cackling about it because a lot of you guys that are looking at it, it's your life your family's life somebody that you like almost everybody knows somebody who's going through something with somebody who's incarcerated been incarcerated been arrested or what have you i know when i was growing up it was like you was a punk if you didn't get locked up. Like, it was like a bad, badge of honor. Like, you had to get locked up, or oh, you was on because right, then you're the toughest person on the block. What kind of, you know, stuff was that? It Whatever. was, it was but then it, it
0: became stereotypical. It, I'm going to say it very glorified. brief before we get into I remember an incident with my son, um, who neither of them, I have two sons, neither of them were, like, in any kind of, you know, legal trouble. And what happened, when one was, and we were, you know, at the court, and we were treated like, couldn't understand why we're being treated so rudely. And basically one court officer said, oh, come on, you know how this goes. And we're like, no, we don't. But the presumption was because we're African, because we're a minority, like we're accustomed, like we're accustomed to this. And I'm like, no, we're not. Not every, you know, minority person of color is a criminal. So no, we don't know how the system works. And then it was, oh, my God, no, they're not like them. But that's, that's how we were perceived. So, and I understand what he's saying. This is why I brought up the question about how you aided in getting your um, uh, hearing, probation hearing um, uh, expedited, yeah. and what he's saying. So I just said that to say that's the stereotype. Like, they think, and and that's a whole other segment, I know, but I just want to throw that out there. And it was, it was disturbing. Oh, come on, you know how this goes. I'm like, no, we don't.
1: We've mm-hmm. never been here. Yeah, and like he said about what happened with him in his court in his court yeah. case, how he was misrepresented. It was supposed to be one of the best lawyers out there. Um I don't know if any of you guys know, but one of the worst places to get locked up is in a Commonwealth. <laughs> Even though they're supposed to be about well, Commonwealth period. Yeah, I know. Pennsylvania, that, yeah. whatever you go to, the Commonwealth's are like not the not the best, North Carolina, wherever. So um it's yeah. like you said it was supposed to be speedy. They didn't do running by the books. But um, wh- why do you th- why do you think that you were able to survive that? Because I don't want people to just look at it like you did that was, you know, standing on your thumbs and, you know, just like it wasn't nothing like what you had to dig deep within yourself in order to survive that.
2: I was who I was before I went to prison. So it's like, I'm not going to be no less than that. So it's it's like, it's with everything you do in life. When you realize that everything has a flip side. I was okay with the flip side. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know that it would have been for that long. Right. Everybody knows that if they do street activity, whether they're in the streets, 10% or 100%, right? Because it varies, because some, it varies. That's what a lot of people don't know. It's different level cats in the streets. they Because cats got different interests. Some cats is two feet, I'm 100% in. Some cats like me, you know, I was one feet here, one feet there, because I've always been intelligent. I went to, my middle school, I went to a Philippa Scholar School for the Gifted and Talented because it's in my neighborhood, Bushwick. I grew up out here. So I've never been dumb. That wasn't the issue. It just I grew up in an era where you come outside, it was violent. So some people are okay with being bullied. I'm not one of them. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm not one of them. Right. So as you get older, you know, it's just like when people watch nature shows, the little baby lions, cubs, they establish a pecking order. It's the same thing amongst humans. It's a pecking order that's establishing, regardless of if you go to school, if you don't go to school, if you 100% dealing with the streets all day, which which is really, you can't never really deal with the streets all day because it's a lot of downtime. So, you know, so what you doing with your downtime? So the people that's not 100% in the streets, they do other stuff with their downtime that strengthening how they think and see and move. So when they do get incarcerated, like when I did, I wasn't going to accept that once I've seen what it was. And it was the brother that was the jailhouse lawyer. He the one that showed me. He was like, yo. Even though I had contradicting co-defendants that worked it for the Commonwealth Attorney, right? I technically should have walked out there, out, out of there. Right. With, or, or I should have got a mistrial. Right. Either or. Right. right. So he said, that don't mean nothing. Then he showed me the violation. He said, this violation, you don't even see it. And then he showed me the statute because each state has its own constitution. Right. You know what I mean well, of course we got the United States Constitution the but every state has a constitution and in their state constitution, the statute for speedy trial violation is 90 days if you were incarcerated so they violated my stuff so once I had to blow like if when I lost if even though I filed an appeal, but if my lawyer filed an appeal say, hey y'all violated his I would have got released. With prejudice. Right. Because what I, does that mean, with prejudice? That they probably know he did it because I got found guilty. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? But we have to release him because we have to follow the law. You know, and I've read cases because, like I said, you know, I don't just leave my fate in nobody's hand. Now I want to help what's going on. So I had, I learned how to read case law. And I seen cases that was uh, rape and murder cases that got overturned because of that statue in Virginia. Right. So I knew I stood a good ground. So they denied me. I filed the habeas corpus, which is like, you know, one of the last chances that people inside have to go with. They denied that. Then I filed the federal habeas corpus because you got to file the state before you file the federal. They time-barred me because in 1996, Bill Clinton, under the anti-terrorism bill, they... Put a, st- a one-year stipulation on habeas corpuses, which wow. you got to think, what does a habeas corpus bill have to do with an anti-terrorism bill? Mm-hmm. So when I filed the the, the 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 dude that was helping me, the jailhouse lawyer, he was battling like crazy that same DA, the Commonwealth that prosecuted me. He was banging him in the head. But when we... He knew he could probably still win in, in the Virginia court, but once we went to the federal court, he said he 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 said, "Yo, he's time barred because he's late. He because I, I was 120 days late. You know, so that shows that I've been fighting the whole time. If I was only 120 days late, and one of the the first prison I ever been on, the whole prison went on lock." Like my first ninety days there, because dudes tried to escape. They knocked the police out, put this—I mean, put the CEO out, dressed in the CO uniform, took some obnoxious um, hostages. So this is this is how I entered the, prison, it's, it's the system, prison system, right? So, and in that situation, so they threw the whole imagine. You know about people going to segregation to the hole if they doing something. So imagine a whole prison going on segregation status. Wow. And we went on segregation, the whole prison. And they acting like everybody that's in general population is in the hole. I went through that. So I didn't have access to the law library. And then let's be realistic. I'm not. Literate. I'm not uneducated, but learning and understanding law is that's a whole nother language. It is. So when Bill Clinton put that in that bill that became law, if it, it messed up thousands of people that could have been home. Cause some people have to learn how to read first yeah, and then have to learn how to understand the law to even fight their case. And you took the only option that somebody might've had for their freedom.
1: Absolutely. So um, I want to cut you right there. You know, like, it's just funny that you say that because I always talk about um Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, the first black president and um that you guys wanted to say cuz he played a saxophone on uh what's his name? Arto Hall or whatever. But you know when his wife was on TV talking about super super predators and all of this kind of stuff. So She's I'm about glad me. that you I'm glad that you talked about that. We're going to get back into that and when we come back from this commercial break. See so you guys in
2: 5.321. Your family and friends not even going to be your first customers.
1: Stop trying to cater and impress your family and your friends with your business. Strangers are your biggest supporters. They don't know you. All they know is you got good quality stuff and they won't buy. Your family just do too much. Your family won't know where you get it from, how you did it, bitch. I've been seeing since a child. You ain't never interested in this. Like, it's just too much for them to give you a daily call that be discounted, like stop trying to impress your family and your friends with your business, they ain't even gonna be your first supporters. Okay, impress your customers. Welcome back to our fashion room with Tai Chan. Brother Leon is in the building, and we have our two guests. I'm gonna have them introduce themselves again:
2: <laughs> Malar Devon Malar, Jason. <laughs> he kills me with the Jason <laughs> each
1: time, it kills me, but um. So you were it it just what was interesting to me was I know I made a a statement and I know people was going to go ham about the Clintons and stuff like that. I really don't care because I just felt like they were like just as foul as the, the current president is. You know, they there's people who don't understand laws and things that they've done in this country to upset the structure of the way that, you know, The incarcerated moved, minorities moved, even laws against um, criminality that they were even a part of. And they escaped because they ended up being on the other side of the law, making the laws and what have you. So um, I want to know, how many did you go to how many did you get to go to parole? How many times did you go to parole before you were
2: Um, released? I went up for parole 11 times before I was released. And what was that like?
1: Like, the first time, like, what was your, so, let me break it down okay. before you so that way you could just answer it freely. The first time, what was your expectations? And from 1 through 11, what happened each time that you went and how did you feel? Okay, so. And how did you prepare as well?
2: Yeah, so, I, the first time. Oh, the first few times I went up for parole, I knew I wasn't going to get parole. So I didn't even fool myself. Right? Why? Because I didn't had you know you first degree murder. <laughs> like I started going up for parole like eight years, eight and a third years of time. That was too short. Mm-hmm. Right. They was they were on a, on a murder case. You're going to average between 23, 24 years before they consider you for parole. And then in Virginia is different than other states because Virginia, a governor can only run one term. Right. So every four years you're getting a different governor. Mm. So like, you know what I mean? And this and Virginia's in the South. So I I had no inclinations that I was gonna ever make parole. I'd say, okay, I know if I get good time, I can max my, I can max out with 30 years. Which would have been next year, or without it, two thousand twenty-eight. What's good time? So that's the that's the rate you earn if you're not catching charges. Because even inside prison, it's a society, right? So and pe- and they got laws and rules and regulation. I think and that's what a lot of y'all young fellas need to understand that you gonna follow rules somewhere either out here or in prison, but right. you gonna follow rules. So in prison, I
1: appreciate
2: you saying that. they got. But they they don't they call it infractions, mm-hmm. right? And we, if you violate these infractions, they can give you anything from a verbal reprimand to taking privileges away from you or to putting you on segregation, which is a, either administrative segregation or punitive segregation, which is two different things, or put you on isolation, which is another thing. Because in isolation, segregation, you still can have. You got your books and stuff like that. You can have that and, and um, your music. Isolation, you can't have nothing but a religious book, a Quran or a Bible, that's it. Yeah, but you know, cause that's like the extreme punitive, but, seg- but it doesn't last long. Segregation can last, you can be on administration segregation for years. So, and that means you just in the whole by you in the you in the cell by yourself. You you not even so called. You don't have access to to the to the whole prison, so you can't program or do anything. So you know what I mean. So most people circle it back around because we had to got to off top a little bit. So I went up that many times. I never thought about that, you know. So I'm like. Some people didn't think about it so much that they they even opt out of the process of going up for parole. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even go when they tell them it was their time. Me, I said, you know what? Because now I'm understanding that prison is politics. Right. And now that this no longer is about the crime that I'm on. Right. This is about politics. Right. Right. So then you start becoming more politically aware, socially aware. Then you start studying and understanding what this really is. This is when they this is when you become dangerous to them. As right. long as you are savage in prison, they love you. They want you to steal, rob, rape, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And probably when you start thinking and you start understanding and you can start sharing what you understand in the others and make them understand, you become a threat wow. to their order. You know what I mean? Because you know how to move, like Kim say, you know how to move the crowd. You know how to move the crowd. Yeah. Before we go
1: to Jason, I'm sorry if I, if I keep harping this, but I just know that this is something that people are, are constantly going to want to know is how did you mentally prepare? I understand that you was built for you was ready for war and all of that kind yeah. of stuff or whatever. But that's not the explanation that really got you through it. There's something in a person something deep down inside a person that prepares them. Like how you said, some people opt out of it. You already knew you wasn't going to go. It had to have some kind of mental effect on you. Or did you just cut off all emotions and just become a savage until it was time? You
2: don't have to be, you can cut off emotions and don't be a savage. Thank you for saying that. You know what I mean? So it's like, but you do have to cut off emotions. Mm -hmm. You do have to become stoic. Like if you're, if you call your family and they tell you a, B, and C going on, what realistically can you do right? and you' going to hear the whole story right It's not like you're not going to hear it, so it's like you 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 can only have one feeling in prison, and that's disdain. If you don't have disdain from where you at if you if you become a part of prison because it's definitely is a program. You allow yourself to become a part of that program, you're going to want to come back. I'm going to share this with you. So it took me about 14. So I did 14 years on maximum security. So it took me about like 14 to 14 and a half to go to a medium security, which was the lowest I can go. So meaning that I went from cells, which I prefer to be in, to a dormitory with a bunch of people. Right, so it took me, so when I got to that level, you know, all right, whatever, it is what it is. So I'm going to chow, I'm going to go eat one day, working with a few of my partners, and um, I see a person coming in on the compound. He got his bed rolled, and, you know, that means he's just coming back to prison. So he was like, yo, what's up? I'm like, all right, what up? Like, you know what I mean? He was like, um... Yo, you ain't been home yet? I was like, nah. He said, yo, I've been home three times. But the the off-top, I'm giving him my message. Yo, you gave the dude the cold shoulder. I said, yo. I said, yo, son, I know him when I... I don't know him, but when I first came to prison, he was there. Mm-hmm. So we talking about when I first hit the big yard at 20... I was 21. I'm like, probably like this time, I'm like, um... Like thirty four, like thirty four, thirty five years old, and he's still and, coming. Yeah, and I'm like, and I didn't mess with him then. I never spoke because he was into <laughs> stuff I wasn't into. He was into homosexuality, and he was into that current. Right. I don't, I'm not into that current. So it's like we we not like mine. So I don't, I don't speak to you. Right. So for him to say come back, you know, like you know, it's it's homosexuals in prison. It's drugs in prison. It's alcohol in prison, right? And he can hang out. And he don't got to have no responsibility and got food, clothing, and shelter. So the prison to him was heaven. To me, it was hell's yeah. prison. My book, "Prison Survival: Hell's Prison. Why I named it that? You know, everything I do was for a reason, Absolutely. based off my
1: experiences. Absolutely. You know, you know, it's funny to me. You like, you speak so eloquently about just a, 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 a array of topics and stuff like that, like you tapped into the, um, there was homosexuality in prison, there's drugs in prison, there's, there's um, this in prison, there's that in prison, whatever the second the third, or what have you. You said that there's like a whole society and everything, you know, you're going to learn one way, either you're going to listen to the COs, you're going to listen to somebody, or what have you. And I just find it to be, you know, I don't know how to say it, but it's, it's, it's almost like, a um a lullaby to people's ears like it's like a cautionary tale that soothes you into knowing the hardships without being hit in the face, you know what I'm saying, the way that you express it, the way that you talk about it. I can't wait to read your book and see what that's about, because I, I, I find you to be a very eloquent and well-spoken young, um, older man, you're a young man,
2: older uh, man now. Uh, <laughs>
1: I know I'm older than yeah. you probably,
2: but... So, <laughs> but it's like, we we it have a sense. Into itself. So Culturally, I'm a 5% of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 5% nation of God's earth. So, one thing we see when we teach, man, we we teach. But to be a true teacher, you have to give knowledge away. Right. See, we in a culture that, because we live in a capitalist society, we automatically think we have to be capitalists. Right. You know what I mean? And it's no way you can be, because you cannot out capitalist a Warren Buffett right right so because they going or, or or the ceo of BlackRock, right so you're wasting your time right right but we think that you know we if you look at our cultures traditionally historically this is what we got to be a student of our own selves We always had capitalism and we had socialism. We just didn't say, hey, we're going to put this, make it a science, which is called capitalism and socialism. So, like, I don't have no problem selling you a good product at a reasonable price. But I'm not going to sell you a product at an unreasonable price. I'm not going to sell you my book at $75 when I know it's a $15.95 book. I'm not going to do that. See, if I, do, if I do do that, then I go against the values that I say I have. Right. And I think that that's one thing we have to learn. And, this, and I think when we learn that, we'll be more supportive of each other and the products that we put out because we there and understand, yo, we doing this from love. Mm-hmm. I ain't trying to get rich off you so if you see me with a little bit more it's not that That is it's that a lot of people just like you love me too and want to support me mm-hmm.
1: so before we go to Jason um, I just want to touch on one more thing and then we're going to go into your life story afterwards with the books and everything that you're doing and what have you but I noticed that you said that you were 5% I remember um, growing up in left rack city um, my sister and I became 5% you know I became a god she became an earth um And so, I didn't have to change my name because my name is a Muslim name, my natural born name. I ain't telling y'all. My natural born name is a Muslim name or what have you. So, I didn't have to change my name. And I remember Brother Shanti was like the leader of... Who? Shanti. Shanti? Yeah. How he look?
2: Um, Brown skin, slim brother. Oh, oh, no, no. And Shanti, I know was short, dark skin. And, and, uh, well, he's from me, le- he, he left.
1: Like, from to me, left he was crack. brown skin, but he was short and dark skin. But we got to remember, I was nine years old then. Oh, so also,
2: Sha- <laughs> Shatik. Shatik is a, a little bit heavier than, what you know. But that's my man. Yeah. So he took me under his. So Shatik, if it's the same Shatik, did he was he was his main man Kurt? Yes. Yes. Though those my, lo- I got pictures. I just went out with them um, <laughs> Sunday that just passed. They came out here, them and well, I was red. nine.
1: My sister was twelve. Yeah, and, we had, and my um, older sister That's was nineteen. World. Sharon was nineteen at the time. Yeah, I'm talking to my mom for y'all who don't know. She's in the audience. Um, my sister Sharon was nineteen. Her name was Casia. and we all became whatever. And I remember my father saying five percent of what's gonna to happen to the other ninety-five percent of you or whatever. But it was just something that gravitated towards us because we were looking for community. So I preference that to say being a five percent of you were already a five percent when you went in. No. When you became to the nation afterwards, When was, I, I want to understand. When
2: how. when I went when when I went in, trivioshi, my uncle was a five percent. Mm-hmm. And I know how he carried it, I respect it. So when Somebody I knew was like, hey, this is what we doing here. I said, let me see what's that is, because it was a uh it was me trying to see how my uncle was thinking. You know, cause I had a father. Right. So my and my father's my uncle's older brother. Right. So he couldn't give me decide, but I saw how he carried it, how he moved, crazy discipline, crazy militant. So my curiosity, you know what I mean? led me to understand who my uncle was right that's how i got into it okay all
1: right thank you for sharing brother
2: thank you for sharing
1: and as he calls himself jason jason (laughs) Jason. (laughs) so when you were talking you kind of brushed over your five years of incarceration and um you said you started out with Picking up cigarette butts and rolling it in Bible paper to make your own cigarettes Mm. to run in the yard—that's a big leap. So, kind of give us like a little breakdown, like how our our brother here told us he was like, you know, that first year the yard was in lockdown and was this going on and that going on and all of this madness and stuff like that. Like, what are some of the things that happened to you? In between picking up those cigarette buds being around these juveniles who was wilding out is the reason why they put you in there because it's nerve wracking because all they want to do is fight because they got testosterone and no brain so. What you know, well,
3: you know in New in New York State you get you get sense of reception reception first mm-hmm. And that's that was my first lesson. I remember in reception. I was in downstate, which is no longer open Right and downstate is pods mm-hmm. and these pods are really like mausoleums, right? You're in these these steel mausoleums by yourself and I wasn't there was myself and six other uh, sorry five other uh pods and I remember I was in my pod, and I was crying. And the other pods, these these dudes are just talking across to each other. And all in these pods, all you have is these slits. Right. So you can't really see each other, but they're communicating with each other. Right. And I'm in my pod, and I'm crying. Big gangster that I am, right? I'm mean, in, <laughs> in my pod crying, but I'm minding my business. And this is going on for days and days and days, because while you're in reception, you're being processed. right. And one day I hear...
1: But wait, let me ahead. just interject really quickly. I'm sorry, because this is an important point. Uh-huh. So, you were being processed, and when you, you were being, you had to be um, extradited, right?
2: Yeah, but the point he's talking about the receiving center, no matter where you go, you got to go to a receiving center, because they got to do st- tests on you before they send you to the to the prison they actually mm-hmm. going to. So, I've been to the receiving center. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So... So but, but with you're when, but in out of state they see a magistrate first, right?
2: Yeah.
1: And in and, and New York, New York State, my you, case you go is, straight to a judge and then you my
3: case there. was already over. Right. My case was already over. Because I want
1: people to understand the distinction. I was
3: already did the Rikers Island thing, I did uh-huh. the Tombs thing. See, that's uh, what,
1: that yeah. see that's where I wanted to go with it yeah. because I wanted people to understand the distinction of yeah. how he was extradited into a system and he, how he was already indicted because they have a magistrate judge and all of that kind of stuff that you see before you even go to trial or anything like that or even get sentenced to anything or even get um, they, or even get a, um, your charges really read to you. The magistrate comes up with your bail and all that kind of stuff, what have you. And once you're indicted that way, that's how you became a fugitive, correct?
2: I, no, I was a fugitive. They couldn't come, they couldn't, they had the indictment off top to that's, me. That's
1: what I mean. Like they had, like they did the magistrate judge. No, no, I'm saying that happened without you being there. Yeah. That process. Yeah. And then your process in New York, you had to go to a judge. I
3: was get, indicted. Right. I was out on bail. And after they, um, after I was out on bail, uh, went into court, they hit me with a sealed indictment. Rescinded my
1: bail. What's a sealed indictment?
3: A a sealed indictment is where there's additional charges that you know nothing about. That's how they play the system. That's how they play the system. Wow! So they rescinded my bail, reset the bail, got bailed out again, came back to court, more another sealed indictment. Because two, two sealed indictments. Got bailed out again. Wow. Third time it happened. I turned to my girl at the time. And I said, just leave me. Because I wasn't going to pay that money anymore. It was right. just because the Bellman was made. This is before New York. This is when New York actually had bail. They don't have bail now.
1: Oh, they don't have bail in New York anymore? Well, New York. Oh, no, sir,
2: on certain, uh, s- certain, on certain,
3: on certain, on certain, certain crimes. Cases. Yes, yeah, they but the, they don't. They on don't. On the crime I was charged with, I would have wore. I would have got released. America, because
1: I know in Jersey they cut out the bail. But I was debating with somebody saying that it no, ain't. Yeah, they
2: they, yeah, New York. They have. They have. They passed bail reform laws a few years ago. So uh-huh. one of the gigs I do right now, I'm a retained um, advocate. I work with a, a public law firm. So it's okay. like. All right, we we're gonna get
1: into that. We are gonna get into that public okay. law firm, whatever. But they have a friend. So what you were saying? So so you got the um, sealed indictment.
3: Sealed indictment. So I go upstate. Um. Anyway, I'm in. I'm in uh, reception, and
1: which reception? Downstate, which is
3: no longer open, downstate correctional facility. So that
1: means that they receive you and they receive
3: me. They do they do a a whole battery of tests, mental tests, physical tests, Mm -hmm. and then they're going to disperse you to whatever permanent facility you're going to go to do your time. Right. So I'm in this. I'm I'm down there, and there's five other pods. I'm the only white guy there, and there's five other. (laughs) And it's the truth, and it's, it's five black guys. You was and the
1: minority? I, 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 it's the truth,
3: in prison, in, in prison, the white guy is the minority. Minority, right. And it's a sad statement, but it's true. So um, I'm crying, and I hear, white, white boy, come to the come to the gate. Come to the gate. Right. So I'm like, who's the white guy? Because <laughs> yeah, like, like it's, it's a bizarre world to me. You know? right, I mean, right. I'm not used to being there. Right. I'm this big shot caller on the street. Right, right. So I come to the door, I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, well, why are you crying? I'm like, I'm going to prison, not realizing I'm in prison. And, um,. It's so like, how long did you get? So I'm like, I got three and a half to seven. That was my bid. Three right, and, yeah, it was a minimum three and a half up to seven. Right. But I was actually looking at 82 years. But a plea deal I got was three and a half to seven.
1: Wait wait, 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 wait. Don't just brush over that. You were actually looking at 82 years?
3: If I went to trial like this gentleman did in blue trial, trial, I would have got 82 joints. And blowing
1: trial means that you, that when you blew. When I went to trial and I would have lost that means trial. That you lost trial. When they say blow trial, that means that you lost trial. I would have lost Learned. that trial.
3: <laughs> so, so i say three and a half to seven and you would have thought it was the funniest thing they ever heard these guys cracked up because the guy across from me is doing 17 to life the guy next to him was doing 25 to life the guy next to him was doing 12 flat
1: so they're laughing at you
3: they're laughing at me that i gotta do this little They're like that's a baby bit right they're like dude you're gonna go upstate you're gonna put your feet up you can eat fried chicken you're gonna have to drink pepsi i'm like what drink are you, pepsi, what, what are you pepsi talking mom. about <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? So like, you can go upstate, you know, you're going to get commissary. You're going to be all right. And now I'm like, you sure? So this guy says to me, I'll never get his name, is Jamal Bell. Right. He said, I'm going to give you your first piece of advice and what you pay attention. i to say, right. stay away from the three G's. I'm what's like, that? what's the three G's? Okay. Like, I got snot coming down my face, yeah, man. Right. <laughs> I'm like, this, I'm a bitch, man. I'm not going
0: to lie. I'm a bitch, man.
3: So he's like, gays, uh-huh. gambling, and gangs.
1: Gays, gamblers, and gangs. the I'm three like, Gs. am like, why? Not Gucci, gays, no, gamblers,
3: and gays. Yeah, I'm like, why? He goes, well, if you go upstate and you get beat up by a gay,
1: nobody's going to respect you. Right.
3: If you gamble and you can't pay, they'll kill you. Right. And if you get involved with gangs, they're going to make you do things that you shouldn't be doing. Right. The three Gs. The three G. And I took that with me upstate. And it was the best
1: advice somebody could have given me. No. So, when I tell you that, and, 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 and this is like... i just want to tell you guys that i admire both of you both of you gentlemen you know what i mean i mean like i know i'm sitting here in this chair and i'm asking questions and and and, you know pretending to be naive to what's going on and all that other kind of stuff but like everybody else i have been affected by it i grew up you know my uncle um was one of the biggest gangsters in New York City back in the 70s, and what have you. I won't speak about all of his things and his whatever, but I grew up going upstate to prison to see him. And he came home in 85, and he didn't last... 10 months on the street because he was so used to being a black belt and breaking niggas up in the third or whatever to whereas he didn't know it was bang bang society now where if you fear if you got people scared of you now they're gonna you know set you up and shoot you or whatever the senator so i do understand i just want to just let you guys know that i do understand where you're coming from and i'm not being you know naive or whatever the senator i just want our audience To be able to get the humanity side of it you know what i mean so i want you guys to understand and i I appreciate your earnest your honesty and i appreciate your willingness to share and like i said this is going to be an ongoing thing for me so i want to invite you guys to come back again and again and again and again because i don't know if you're comfortable with being in the room with law enforcement and all that kind of stuff, I'm going to bring them in as well and kind of talk about a lot of the stuff, but I'm not gonna fluff it. I'm not gonna be you know, pro this, that, and the third or whatever, this, that, and the third. I want it to be raw and real, I want you guys to be able to say what you wanna say. So I wanna invite you guys to come again and again and again. Like I said, this series of discussions that we're gonna do will eventually will be a documentary. Um, I want you guys to now bring us into What you're doing now, you know, post-incarceration, after being off of parole, all of the things and the steps that you took once you stepped out of the prison doors to get yourself to where you are right now. We're going to start with Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Jason.
3: (laughs) Well, for me, the the scariest thing for me ever was walking out of prison homeless. Mm -hmm. No support. Um parole was very, very, very difficult for me. Right. Um and I, I'm gonna tell you why. On my case, when I went in front of my sentencing judge, you know, they say, Do you have anything to say? And I said, Well, I, I wanna apologize to the court, to my family, to my friends, you know, anybody I might have harmed. And I, I plan on coming out of prison a better man than going in, and she looked right at me. And she knew exactly what she was doing when she said what she said. She said she took her glasses and she went like this, and she said, "Sir, for society's sake, I hope you're correct, Because you saw our criminal mastermind." And most people were like, "Wow, that's great!" Right? Yeah, I'm Lex Luthor. <laughs> that's great until a pro board sees that. So, right. She knew what and, she was doing. And pro board says, we're not letting this criminal mastermind out she early. She knew what she was doing. Because I was able to get out after 18 months. Right. And as soon as I walked into the pro board, they're like, you can go right back to your cell. And then, and then the next pro board said the same thing.
1: Because that's that still was in their bond.
3: They read the paperwork. They said, why is the judge calling this guy a criminal mastermind? Then when I came over from parole... Wow. and parole sees criminal mastermind, we're going to be up this guy's ass like a G-string.
1: Mm-hmm. We're not giving this guy a break. Wow. You oh. see, how, see how people know what they're doing? Just the simple word like, like predator yep. that Hillary Clinton used. Criminal mastermind that this judge used against him. And, and
3: don't forget, by the way, I hate, I'm not trying to get off topic, but the current president that we have now, is the one that signed into laws that have ge- generations of young African American men in prison.
2: I said it before. We went. The 1994 Crime Bill. The
1: 1994 Crime Bill. Yeah. Brother Leon. That was predicated I, on the crack epidemic, and 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 mm-hmm. um, well, supposed crack epidemic, no, but it was, now it's the opioid situation, so it's now handled totally different. But the get, the it, that's a whole yeah. other off-topic yeah. thing i I wanted to apologize to you because you've been gone for so long. So I kind of no, like, like kind like, stepped into four. No, you know what I said like, and, and, and kind of hijacked and didn't give you a chance. No, to kinda, I'm taking it all kinda, in. Um, ask questions and all that kind of stuff. So no, no, no. They they sure. pretty much suffice. And, and they said, I know they said what they right. said. Could you let me say oh. an apology to you, my brother? Okay. That I that I'm realizing that I got you know, so used to sitting here solo because this whole season I've been sitting Mm. solo and it was justified because you had to take care of yourself and health is wealth. Um, I wanted to just let you kind of like close out asking questions after we get our brother here to tell us what he's doing now after Jason finishes telling us where he is with his life right now.
3: Uh, so, when I came home, uh, my first job home was I uh, was a dishwasher in the kitchen. Probably the worst job
1: you could possibly have. You did the dishwasher. Like, don't do, That's some bullshit. Because you see that in the movies. You know what I mean? No, no, the no, nigga like, go home, he <laughs> gave that. The parole officer got a friend. And they get you. No, it, seriously?
3: True it, it, story. When I went to parole and I said, can you help me find work? She's like, we're not an employment agency. Get your ass out there and find a job. So, everywhere I went, nobody would hire me because right. I was on parole. So, a friend, of, a friend of mine had a friend who owned a restaurant went to work in this restaurant in Bay bayridge brooklyn brooklyn right. love. love and the guy gave me a chance as a dishwasher i had nothing else to do so i would work doubles and triples but what i did in that kitchen was these dudes you that were like a square animal? i didn't care i was free uh-huh. so uh what was going on in this kitchen being the being the white guy the minority again <laughs>
1: i don't to use that
3: um They were walking out the back door with boxes of shrimp and steaks and whatever else the cooks could walk out the back door with. and 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 the workers and I put a stop to that. Because as an ex-con, you have that street radar. Right, 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 So I put a stop to all that. So I decreased theft by 80% out of the kitchen. So the owner saw what was going on. He didn't see them stealing, but he saw the theft go down because he right. sees the sheets. Right. So and he saw my work ethic and he said, hey, let me ask you a question. He goes, I love the way you work. I love what's going I don't know what you're doing back there, but I love it. Um, would you like to learn how to run a kitchen? So within six months of being a dishwasher, he trained me to be the kitchen manager. And so, since then, since I've been home nine years, I've owned restaurants, and now I do restaurant consulting.
1: Well, let's not brush over that—that that you've been home nine years. You know, you know what I'm saying? Let's give you the props. Thank you. You've been home nine years, and and that's an accomplishment. You know, like I said, you know earlier, how like when I was growing up, going to jail was like the hood thing, and like how he said one of the boys, and I, I'm sorry for calling you, he like that or whatever. Um, it was like. This guy came back like three, four times while he was there for all of these years. Like, so let's not make that a small thing. You know what I mean? Let's give you your flowers now. You know what I'm saying? That's a big thing. And you're doing positive things, especially saying at a young age. Because there's little boys and little girls out there who believe that that's their destiny. Let's hear what you' up to, my brother, and then, brother Leon, you take the rest of the show on. So,
2: out. what I currently do, um, I'm, I'm a retain intake advocate. I work before you do that.
1: Introduce yourself again, oh, because this is not you.
2: Oh, this is, this is. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a law divine, I'm a law. I'm a author. I'm a reentry strategist. I'm a tactician. I'm a technologist, and I'm a an all around good guy. So,
1: <laughs> the good
2: guy. Yeah. So. So let me go backwards and come up, you know what I mean? So... Right now, I work as a retain intake advocate for a public law firm. So, right. so we deal with the people, which is I see I have a good niche with for dealing with people. Before that, I was a reentry coordinator for juvenile detention. So, but I work for a nonprofit. So, I was, but I should go into Crossroad in, in Brooklyn and Horizon in the Bronx and um,
1: I know both agencies
2: trying to get these you know youth. Prepared whether they was coming home or they was going, going up on north, north, but right. still, y'all still coming home, most of y'all. So and what's going up north mean? Going to um, prison. Okay. They'd lost they lost their case. Then, you know, before that, you know. I was working at another organization in the Brooklyn courthouse. So it's like I've been in this field before that. I did 18 months internship because I had to do an internship because to graduate, because I went back to school for um a STEM degree in computer systems. OK. So, you know, and that's a whole nother story. <laughs> I you say when you come back on the show. Yeah, so, you know, and um. But like, but my first job, like him, my first job, I was doing, um, I was a janitor. So, cause one of my, one of my, one of my good friends, he seen one of my other friends that I knew. He was like, mm-hmm. yo, he called me by my family nickname. He was like, he home, and he was like, yo, give me his number. So he called me. I'm sitting up there. He was like, yo, you need a job. Like I don't know how to move. In 2014. Right, about Because
1: right. when, you know, when year did you go in prison? 1995. So 2014 is almost 20 years.
2: Yeah, so I didn't know how to, like, the job situation. He said, I'm going to call and you. And technology was there. Yeah, so he said, and that's another thing, why I went to tech. So he said, yo, I'm going to call you in five minutes. He called me back in five minutes. He said, you got your, he said, you got your social security card? So I said, yeah, I got that. He gave me an address to go to. He said, yo, they're going to give you a job. And that's how I got my first job. I was doing janitorial service. I was working in Queens, the Queens Library on Merrick Boulevard, the major library. Yeah. And then when I went to parole, I met a brother, and me and him, he was a five percent, and me and him just connect. And late, and then like maybe two months later, he said, "Yo, you want to do construction?" I said, "Yeah, why not?" Like you know what I mean? Then I went into construction as a laborer you know, non-union laborer, which is a big difference. And um, But I didn't care because I was getting 55 mm-hmm. cents an hour. How much? 55 cents an hour when I was a wait, 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 as a t- wait,
1: wait,
2: wait. Wait, we can't aide. brush over that. You were getting what? 55 cents an hour as a teacher's aide helping people get their GED in prison. So now I'm getting $15 an hour. To me, that's like a lot of money. Like, if because it's like, you know, I can say, okay, well, before I was the president, I was all right, I wasn't hungry.
1: Right, On you know? getting 55 cents yeah. an hour, so now getting $15, now you big
2: boiling. Yeah, so I didn't see nothing wrong, so I talked to one of my peoples that was in the union, and he told me it's about prevailing rages. But it didn't really matter because I know that that's not where I wanted to be at. Like, I know I wanted to, because I used to go to college. I went to Norfolk State University. Mm-hmm. So I know I wanted to go back to school. It just for, for what? Because that's
1: where your crime, from Norfolk State University. Yeah,
2: that's where From the college you were in.
1: Yeah. That's why you were 21 when you were eventually incarcerated. No, I was 20. 20
2: yeah but, was, but you got to go through the process right and, right and, and that's why I jumped yeah. to 21 it yeah. was
1: 21 when you said that you eventually started your yeah
2: yeah and
1: all that kind of yeah stuff, or whatever yeah. so you were in the prime of your year of your of your youth getting your, your education learning about manhood and then just had to shift your whole life from being collegiate to being incarcerated
2: no see but that's the funny thing see 92 some i was on rikers island because i used to i got 17 of course i was a stick oh so you you already did it. okay so i already been through the process but like i said i wasn't dumb you wasn't so it was like so But you wasn't institutionalized. I wasn't institutionalized. That's why you got your education. Yeah, so when I came off Rikers Island, I came off in July. I think it was July 11, 1992. I think I was locked up for four months for armed robbery. Mm -hmm. I had a paid lawyer, so my my, my situation was mad different. And I got youthful offender status. Right, right. So, cool. So, when I came home, when that... Um, school year came. I still had enough credits to be a senior, right. even though I didn't do the last half that. of my right. of, of my junior year. Right So once I finished that, I had some resources. I said, "I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. To, I'm on. I'm on probation." Right, you know, I'm like my brother was facing the body. He beat his body. Then he wound up catching a, another charge and wound up going up north. I'm like, yo, I need to calm down because right. we leapfrogging each other going back from and forth from elevating yeah. your so, crimes. Ele- so I said, yo, I'm done. So I said, yo, so I try So, you know, without mm-hmm. changing my value system, I changed my location and how right. I'm doing it. I went to college. I graduated. But you from still was criminal minded. <laughs> I didn't just see I I don't want to say criminal mind. <laughs> I didn't see I didn't see certain things as wrong. Right, right, it was right. a value system. It was like, a value you, system. You can't say your value system and what you see is criminal mind. You just okay. you just don't see like I some things I just don't see. Here's I didn't more. see it. Like you know, you see
1: it like you see it. Yeah, call it like you call it. You yeah, was raised so, the way
2: you was raised. Yeah, but that mentality can't be the way I it was can't at. exist. In, and, in, that's in I got, and that's why I got. And that's why I got what I got. Groups. And I understood why I got what right, I got. Right, because
1: where you were thinking was not where you were at.
2: Yeah. So, um,
1: I want to leapfrog into your books because that's a fascinating thing. Because I'm now becoming an author. Okay. And and, and I um. Made leaps and bounds in the collegiate world and in the business world and in the fashion world, you know, written up fashion elevator and, and, and trailblazer and all of this bullcrap that society says, which I already was when I was just doing hood shows. I could have stayed doing hood shows, making 60,000 a show instead of going to owing people 10,000 after the show when I got the establishment. But becoming an author is a big freaking deal. Like I'm in the process of doing four books simultaneously and it's killing me doing just the one book, just not even imagining four books or whatever, because that's what's required of me, because that's in my pedigree, because that's who i come from. Like my, my grandfather came to New York with a third grade education. He ended up owning his own Brownstone trucking company, secondhand store. And worked for the same company for 30 years who dicked him out of his pension but still raised 10 kids, a mother, and 16, 17 siblings. So it's in my DNA to do that. For you to be an author, it takes a lot to write one chapter. I just turned in 22 pages, and it fucking damn near killed me to get these 22 pages to them. I lost the deal with Random House because I procrastinated so much. And I found a new publishing company. We got to talk about that.
2: So, so I always was a writer. Like, in the eighth grade, I got kicked out to create a writing program. Because I thought the teacher was a racist. Right. I might not have had the tools that I might that I have today as a grown man. Right. But I knew a sucker when I saw a sucker mm-hmm. in an adult form. Right. So he kicked me out of his class. So that was my elective that I chose creative writing. Mm-hmm. I used to MC too. Right. So when I got incarcerated, I I knew was no way in hell I was gonna come out here and still be trying to be an MC <laughs> at no advanced age, right? right? Right. So I started. I like that I, I, age I started of writing poems because mm-hmm. because the MC in me. Then I met a brother at 23. He showed me how to start writing screenplay. I hate to do
1: it, to you, brother, but. but to get us
2: to the book. Okay, so (laughs) so I've always been a writer, but the the process like my first book The Hidden Hand Duality of Self, I actually say that slowly. The Hidden Hand Duality of Self. The Hidden Hand Duality of Self. Of Self. self. The Hidden
1: Hand Duality of Self is his first book. Yeah,
2: it's an urban political street thriller. I'm the father. Urban political
1: street thriller. Yeah. So how did you get to there?
2: So when I was in prison, we convinced the late teachers that I worked for to sponsor us and start in a creative writing program. Perfect. And I wrote it in prison. And then while as I was writing it, I made parole. Mm. So, you know, and when I came home, you know, I finished, I had to, you know. Did you self-publish? Yeah, I self-published because I, first I had to... St- First, I had to find out what Wi Fi was because there wasn't <laughs> no Wi Fi before I left. Right. So right. I was at a disadvantage. So this is probably one of the reasons I went to college for technology. Right. Because I didn't want to be illiterate. Right. So I learned, I know how to get my typing skills up. I started studying the publishing game. So I was like, I can't go the agent route because I I didn't want to do it all that. Like, yeah. It. So, but then you had these quote these vanity house publishings, but they talking about They want you to whatever cheer you get... You pay three thousand, four thousand. They put your book out, and then they only give you a, 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 a off the book. Right. I'm like, if I had three, 000, four thousand, I wouldn't need you. Exactly. So I just kept researching and researching. Mm-hmm. Then I came across Create Space, which Amazon wound up buying and folded into um, Kindle, and also Smashword. Right. So I then I, then like I used them for my um ebook, and I used Amazon for my printed version, right. and they did print on demand. So I didn't have to keep, keep um keep this, yeah. um um any um merchandise. You know Perfect. what I mean? Yeah. So, and I wrote that book because I like you know it, it deals with um. I said it in Bushwick. It deals with gentrification, police brutality. It deals with what about if a, a, the main character name is Bomani? Right. What about what if this character who was one, was down with one of the biggest crews out here go to the Feds and run across members of the Black Panther Party or the BLA Party, which is possible you can do on the East Coast, Right. right? And what if they? started you know um um talking to him he changed his political ideology but he don't change his tactics of who he is at the core and he when he come back home he got his 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 family which is his cousin them they like they they like bmf right and they looking for him to take the underboss position, but he on some other type stuff. Right. He on some gorilla, some urban guerrilla tactic type stuff. So he right. wound up forming a crew called Black Fist. And that's what I'm going to give you at this moment. If you want one, okay. you got to So that's your you first book. Re- How that's many, many other books do book. you have real quickly? I have three of them. Three second, other books. my second book, is called "Prison Survival: Hell's Prison." Okay, I wrote that. 15. That's my memoir. A detail. Uh-huh. I, I talk about my transformation in prison because I don't believe in rehabilitation. Right. My Trans- third book is called "Reentry Strategies and Staying Free" because I was a reentry coordinator and I wanted to share with people how I got on parole early right. and some of the techniques and tactics and that's that what I, I use.
1: You come back and talk yeah. about
2: yeah. And my last book is called um, "The Struggle Is Real." I named it after one of my brothers. You know, he's not my physical brother, but he's one of my brothers in thought. He had an organization called "The Struggle Is Real," and he um, he passed away from COVID. He was a poet, but he never had a chance to publish his books. Right. So, I mean, his poems. So, I had a, a hard drive full of poems. So, I published my poems, and I um, I dedicated the book to his organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Closing thoughts.
1: So you guys sorry sorry. It's okay It's Jason (laughs) So you guys You know this segment Closing thoughts Where we all You know Talk about something That we want to leave The audience with And um, that's heartfelt From us It can either be About the segment Or just something That we want to just Spit to you guys So Closing thoughts
3: It's free to be nice Um, And you're not alone There's always somebody That'll
2: listen to you That's what I got All right my closing thoughts is, man, be comfortable with being yourself.
1: Brother Leon.
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's for these two guys, you can't
0: <clears throat> overshadow them. So we'll keep it brief. It's not where you started, it's where you finished. Sometime for whence you come, for whence you don't want to go back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you guys have persevered and moved forward after whatever, you know, whatever happened in your life. It's where you're at now. So you're above the fray and you've persevered. So kudos to both you guys and thank you for coming.
2: Thank appreciate
1: it. My closing thoughts are: um, <laughs> I know that never ever. That, remember that that game have never ever. I know that you guys in the fashion moment with Tai Chun atmosphere. Um, and seeing my growth and rise. Never ever thought that you would see this segment and see me have such commonality with such prolific brothers on both sides of me. And I just want you to always know that you never know what you're made of until you put to the test. And they are true testaments of what humanity and manhood is made of. And I just want you guys to kind of think about what they've been through, what they did for themselves, how they had to get to where they are and show these brothers some love. Follow them okay. on their platforms. What's
2: your social media? Everything is my name, Malad Divine.
3: JCB42371 on Instagram.
1: And you guys follow these brothers, support their movement, support their work. This has been a Fashion Movement with Taichun.
2: Live a fleet-free free life. Peace out to you.